This is the weekly message from Hope Church Malmesbury. We're so glad you can join us. This week's sermon is part of our series, The Promise and the Purpose. We're walking slowly through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, promise by promise. Find out more about Hope Church and how to support our ministry at www.thehope.church. I hope this message will help you to see the good purpose that God has for your life and help you to walk in faith and rely on his promises every day. Here's the message. Well, good morning and welcome to Hope Church. If you haven't met me before, my name is Mark. I'm one of the lead pastors here. And if we have met before, but that seems like news to you, then just keep taking the tablets. Today's message is entitled, Keep Your Eyes on the Prize. So thank you for that great introduction, Richard, um, about keeping your eye on the prize and going after the thing that God has promised you. So speaking of prizes, who watched Eurovision last night? We had a bit of a party here, a watch party. Some of the folks decided to dress the part. We might have some uh, proof up there. Very good. I am coveting Richard's hand solo trousers. Not his hair. No. Well, it would be nice to have that amount of, of hair. Um, Steve dressed as Thor, didn't make it into the picture. I think he was off saving the planet somewhere at the time. But if you can track down a photo of Steve as Thor, then um, that would be great. Um, and if you don't want them published, then I'll give you the, the donation page on the church website later. So, but the thing is, I, I came dressed as an 80s pop star with gold chain and, and silly facial hair. But apparently most people thought I'd just dressed normally. So, which is a bit worrying. You've still got the silly facial hair. It will grow back. <laughs> so I was chatting to my son this week, Jake. I'm a proud dad. I'm allowed to share these stories. Jake's, Jake's 23, and this year he achieved a milestone. He read his first novel <coughs> after 23 years. Listen, parents, don't get stressed about your kids hitting arbitrary developmental milestones. Okay? They will go at their own speed. They will go out there and speak. And it took Jake 23 years to decide to read a novel. He's read books before, mostly about chess um, and opening moves and stuff. But he decided to read a novel for the first time this year. So he, he, he broke himself in gently. He picked 1984. <laughs> That's the first book he was going to read. And since then, every time he walks past a charity shop or the village book exchange, he comes home with another book much to his wife's uh, excitement. Uh, they're, they're mostly Jack Reacher novels, uh, uh, because they're excellent, aren't they? <laughs> anyway, th- this week he asked me to recommend to him some non-fiction personal development books. So I said to him, well, uh, anything by John Maxwell, but also Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. Hands up if you've read The Seven Habits. Yeah, been on the course. I recommend it, not only because he's a man of faith, he uses plenty of biblical examples in his books, he's also a huge Star Wars nerd, so there's lots of Star Wars examples, but anyway, I digress. One of the seven habits is put first things first. Put first things first, or he's sometimes been known to explain it, the main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. In case you didn't get that, let me say that again. The main thing is to keep the main thing the main thing. In other words, keep your eye on the prize. Make sure that where you put your main effort, your resources, you know, your time, your money, your, your focus, keep those on the main thing. Whatever that might be in this 
current season of your life. It might be your young family that you're raising. It might be your studies. It might be your business. It might be the mission trip you're preparing for next year. It might be the call of God on your life to enter the ministry. Whatever it is, don't allow the day-to-day busyness of busyness to get in the way of pursuing that main thing, what you could call your mission. And when you keep your eye on the prize, when you know what your prize is and you keep focused on it, it then becomes much easier for you to spot those things that are not going to help you achieve the prize. In other words, what you should be saying no to, because that's a distraction, that's pulling me off in the wrong direction. And if you read through the Gospels, one of the things you'll notice is how often Jesus says no to people. That's not my priority today, in other words. Jesus often refuses to get drawn into debates and questions because he knew that they were not going to help him achieve his mission. The Apostle Paul puts it like this in Philippians. He says, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. And just in case anyone was tempted to disagree with him, Paul says in the next verse, let those of us who are mature think this way. And if anyone else thinks otherwise, God will reveal that to you. (laughs) Zing! So I'm going to share a word from heaven this morning. And if anyone who is mature, then you can agree with me. And if anyone thinks otherwise, God will set you straight. That, that, that sounds like a song by a country western does it? God's going to set you straight. Johnny Cash, right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray this morning that you will speak to us, Lord God, that we will hear your voice, that our hearts will be humble, our minds will be teachable, our ears will be open. In Jesus' name, amen. Turn to your neighbour and say God, say, God loves you, and so do I. God loves you, and so do I. Today's scripture passage... Today's scripture passage is Luke chapter 18, verses 31 to 34. And this marks, welcome visitors, episode 115 in our sermon series, The Promise and the Purpose. We are going through the Gospel of Luke, verse by verse, skipping nothing out. So for the last few months of sermons, Jesus has been talking about the promise of the coming kingdom of God. And the last couple of weeks, he started to challenge the crowd that's been following him and gathering around him. Those persistent disciples. He's been talking to them about the cost of following him and how Jesus expects his disciples to behave, how he expects them to live. But in today's reading, Jesus takes his 12 closest friends, the apostles, or as Luke calls them, the 12. Jesus takes them to one side and reminds them for the third time so far of his particular purpose, his mission, the prize that his eye is on. So all this talk of the kingdom of God had perhaps been raising some some wrong expectations in the minds of the 12 apostles. Last week, we've been celebrating the coronation of King Charles III. And a king takes up rule of his kingdom with his coronation. But for Jesus, his coronation, his being lifted up, 
was going to happen at Passover when he gets killed. Because there can be no kingdom of God without the cross. The cross of Jesus is fundamental to the establishment of God's kingdom here upon earth. So today, Jesus, he reminds his disciples and us of his firmly established purpose, his mission. The thing that he's been working towards for the last three years of his life, the thing he's not been trying to avoid, the thing he's not been trying to come up with alternative plans to get around. Jesus has been keeping his eyes upon his goal, on his mission. Yeah, we were talking about mission uh, in Visions and Valleys this week, weren't we? His mission was to go to the cross to save his people from their sins. And he wasn't at all surprised by the events that unfold in the run-up to Passover. He knew what was coming to an amazing level of detail, as we're going to see this morning. So let's just read today's uh, assigned passage. It's Luke 18, 31 to 34. It goes like this. And taking the twelve, he, that's Jesus, he said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and everything... Everything that is written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, that is, the people who weren't Jews, so the Roman authorities, in other words. He will be mocked, shamefully treated, spit upon, and after flogging him, they will kill him. And on the third day, he will rise. But they understood none of these things. This saying was hidden from them, and they did not grasp what was said. So it's a short little verse this week, short little passage, just four verses, but there's lots to unpack, so let's just dive straight in. So it begins with this. Taking the twelve, Jesus said to them, So you are going to Jerusalem, and everything that was written about the Son of Man by the prophets will be accomplished. Now, this is a private conversation between Jesus and and the twelve. That's Luke's nickname for Jesus' gang, the twelve. And Jesus takes the twelve, he takes them off to this private place, and he shares with them this information, which is for, you know, for now, in the story, just for their ears. And their ears were probably ringing, because when Jesus starts talking about all the prophecies that the Messiah was going to accomplish, maybe the, the apostles' minds began to go back to the things that they read as children, that they studied in synagogue, promises of the coming Messiah. Maybe they were thinking about Jeremiah 23, which says something like this. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will raise up for David a righteous branch, and he shall reign as a king and deal wisely, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. And in his days, Judah will be saved, and Israel will dwell securely. And this is the name by which he will be called. The Lord is our righteousness. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when they shall no longer say, as the Lord lives who brought us the people up out of the land of Egypt, but instead they'll say, but as the Lord lives, who brought up and led the offspring of the house of Israel out of the north country and out of all the countries where we have driven them, and they shall return and dwell in their own land. Not someone else's land that's been invaded, but their own land. I can also begin to imagine the grin starting to spread across the disciples' faces. And they start to think about this. Peter's rubbing his hands with glee. There's a fight coming and Jesus is going to win. Right, it's time to take it to the Romans. Repel the invaders. Reclaim their homeland. But Jesus keeps on speaking. 
And he lays out a very different story of what is going to unfold. He says, for he, that's the Son of Man, Jesus the Messiah, will be delivered over to the Gentiles. And he's going to be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. Wait, what? That's not how it's supposed to go. That's not what we're signed up for. But this is the third time Jesus has told this to his disciples so far. This kind of third correction of their expectations. And he goes into such very specific detail about what's going to happen to him. Jesus knew exactly what lay in his future. And yet the Bible says he set his face like flint and continued on towards Jerusalem. This is what Jesus said. That the Son of Man will be delivered out to the Gentiles, will be mocked, shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they would kill him. Let's flick forward to Mark chapter 15. This is what happened a few weeks later. So Pilate, the Roman governor, wishing to satisfy the crowd, released for them another man called Barabbas, and having scourged, that's flogged Jesus, delivered him to be crucified. And the soldiers led him away inside the palace, that is the governor's headquarters, and they called together the whole battalion. And they clothed Jesus in a purple cloak, And twisting together a crown of thorns, they put it on him. And they began to salute him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they were striking his head with a reed and spitting on him and kneeling down in homage to him. I wonder if the disciples, as they became aware of some of the things that were unfolding during that final week of Jesus' life and this this particular day, that they remembered that Jesus predicted all of those things would happen to him. And more than that, maybe all of the things that the Old Testament prophecies had said about Jesus, from Isaiah to David to Zechariah, to give a few examples, describing what would happen in astonishing accuracy, the events that would unfold in that Passover week. To help us try and grasp just how closely the Old Testament writings predict what unfolds during that first Easter, that first Passover, um, where, where Jesus died. Things that were written down hundreds of years before Jesus was born. Let's just see how closely they describe it. I, I need a helper. I need someone to be the voice of the Old Testament. Captain Giles, come and take your place. It's not going to come up on the screens, but we're going to read the story of what happened to Jesus. Richard is going to read from the Old Testament. I'm going to read from the New Testament and just see how this stuff aligns. We're not going to give you all the the verse references as we go through. If you're interested, I can give you a copy. I'll read it afterwards. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter. And like a sheep that before his shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. But when he was accused by the chief priests and the elders, he gave them no answer. And Pilate said to him, do you not hear how many things they testify against you? But he gave them no answer, not even to a single charge, so that the governor was greatly amazed. Surely he has borne our griefs. And carried our sorrows. 
Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is Golgotha. And there they crucified him with two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Psalm 22 starts with the words, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And about the ninth hour, Jesus cried out in a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lemma sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. And the people stood by watching, but the ruler scoffed at him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ of God, if he really is the chosen one. My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, he said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. For the dogs encompass me. A company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them. And for my clothing, they cast lots. And when they'd crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. Posterity shall serve him. It shall be told of the Lord to the coming generation. They shall come proclaim his righteousness to a people yet unborn, that he has done it. And Jesus said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. When they look upon me, on him whom they have pierced, they shall mourn for him as one mourns for an only child, and weep bitterly over him, as one weeps over a firstborn. Now the centurion, he saw what was taking place, and he praised God, saying, certainly this man was innocent. And all the crowds that had assembled for the spectacle, when they saw what had taken place, they returned home, beating their breasts. And all his acquaintances and the women who had followed him from Galilee stood at a distance and they watched all of these things. And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death. Although he had done no violence and there was no deceit in his mouth. And when it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea named Joseph, who was also a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body and then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in a clean linen shroud and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had cut in the rock, and rolled a great stone to the entrance of the tomb. 
And then he went away. Therefore my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb early while it was still dark and she saw that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going towards the tomb. And then Simon Peter, he came in, he went into the tomb and he saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who reached the tomb first, he went in and he saw and he believed. For as yet they did not understand that Jesus must rise from the dead. Thank you, Richard. And the very last line, they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Yeah, this echoes what Jesus had just said to his disciples at the end of that thought in verse 33, as he describes all that would happen to him. And then he said, and on the third day, he will rise. An astonishing level of detail that was written hundreds of years before these events unfolded. Events under the control of the people who were out to kill Jesus, not people who were trying to conspire. Events to match up with prophecies they believed in themselves. I wonder if the disciples even noticed the end of that sentence that Jesus would rise again. Or they were preoccupied perhaps with the the shame and the flogging and the killing. You know, when we're in the middle of a crisis, we're in the middle of the pain, it can be really hard to keep your eyes focused on the promise of a better tomorrow. Or even maybe to remember that God has promised an end to the tears. But that promise that we have, the hope that we have, this is a promise sealed in the blood of Jesus. He died that we might live. As Richard just read, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities, our sins, our shortcomings. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. This this is the mystery that sits at the heart of God's plan for his kingdom. The fact that Jesus died that we might live. The fact that Jesus was broken so that we could be whole. The fact that he became sin so that we could be righteous. The fact that he was abandoned so that we could become accepted by God. And all of this happened because Jesus chose to allow it to happen. He was not forced into it. He was not tricked into it. He was not overpowered into it. But as he said to Pilate in John 19, Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. All that happens to Jesus is in fulfillment of the promises and the prophecies that we can find in the Bible, that we can find in Scripture. He was razor-sharp focused on his goal. He kept his eye on the prize, and that prize is our salvation. As Paul records in his letter to the church in Corinth, he says, For I delivered to you as of first importance what I received, 
that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. Now, remember, when Paul is writing this, only the Old Testament exists, right? (laughs) The New Testament hasn't been written yet. Paul's writing it as he's writing the letter. So when he's talking about all these things that happened to Jesus in accordance with the scriptures, he's talking about in accordance with what was written in the Old Testament hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago. Jesus was a man on a mission, with a mission. He did things on purpose because they helped him achieve his purpose, which was to preach the good news of the kingdom of God and then submit to the shame of the cross in order to purchase our forgiveness, our salvation, our right standing with God. He knew what he was doing every single step of the way. He knew what it would cost him and he did it anyway because that is how much he loves every single person in this room, every single person listening to the podcast, every single person watching us online. Jesus died for everyone. But not everyone benefits from his sacrifice. All roads do not lead to heaven. Only those who put their faith in Jesus, only those who call Jesus Lord, are the ones who he invites to live with him in his eternal home in heaven. Jesus makes his offer freely available to all, but we have to choose to accept it. In Scripture says in Romans 10, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord... If you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you're made right with God. It's by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. So if you want that to be true for you today, the offer is open. And it's simple. Just join me in this prayer because that is openly declaring that Jesus is your Lord. Pray with me if you want to. Lord Jesus, I thank you that you died for me. I declare that you are my Lord. I believe that God the Father raised you from the dead. Help my faith and belief to grow stronger each day. I receive your forgiveness. Thank you for saving me. Amen. And if you prayed that prayer with me today, come and speak to us after the service. Get in contact. We'd love to pray with you and send you a gift to help you on your way and your walk with Jesus. But as the band comes to lead us in a final act of worship, just receive this blessing, church. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen. Amen. Amen.